How are you guys doing tonight? Good? Awesome. Awesome. Alan, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've been serving at the church for quite a long time, for about like five years or so. And about two years ago, the Lord gave me the opportunity to start sharing God's word. And man, has it been quite a roller coaster. I feel like when we are faithful to serve the Lord, Satan always tries to attack us, distract us, um, you know. And so through, I feel like through trials and through difficulties and even through, and I'm going to talk a little bit about it tonight, even through just the mundane um, moments in my life, I feel like Satan has been trying to attack, but God has also been speaking powerfully through it. Um, so some of my best friends have kind of been with me through those highs, been with me through those lows. And, and even as we were singing, like I realized we always talk about the Lord in these great moments or in these great um, uh, areas of like depth. But more often than not, we don't really know what to do in between, like in between the good moments and in between the bad moments. So um, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, hope you guys had a good time in discussion talking about just the idea of why you came here tonight, because we all came in here with expectations. And I just want to pray that we would lay those things aside and we would just be humbled by God's word and called to live differently because of being met by Jesus through his word. So let's pray. Um, we'll dive right in. Does anybody need a Bible? Do you do that? If anybody needs a Bible, you can raise your hand. Someone will bring it over. One of the gradient leaders will come up and walk a Bible over to you. Um, we have tons of Bibles because we're a church. So uh, you guys can open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 16. 1 Kings, or no, 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm sorry, I misspoke. 1 Kings chapter 19. Okay. What we'll do is we'll pray and we'll dive right in. If you guys like message titles, if you saw on Instagram, at uh, GradientYA, shout out to the Instagram. Um, the title of tonight's message is Finding Jesus in the Ordinary Life. Finding Jesus in the Ordinary Life. So we'll pray and we'll dive right in, First Kings chapter 19. So Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that we can come to a place where we can be open and honest with what's going on in our lives. Lord, I thank you that we can have a community of people that we can just share our lives with. And Lord, I pray tonight that you would be glorified, not through my words, but Father, through your words speaking through me. Um, Lord, maybe through some time of fellowship afterwards, putting a, placing a word on someone's heart. Lord, I just pray from start to finish that you would do something powerful here. And even if it's as simple as someone saying hello, even if it's as simple as someone just praying for someone else, Lord, I pray that you would, in the, in the simplistic ways, be glorified here tonight. And we thank you for the powerful message found in your word. So I pray you go before this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, I don't know about you guys, but I am a pretty ordinary guy. We are normal people. There's nothing really to, like, I, I would love to say and take credit for all of this big stage production that went on, but I had nothing to do with it. I, I, you know, I make some logos and stuff like that, but big things like this, I'm always surprised by what other people can do. Um, and, and sometimes, if we're honest, in life, we have moments where we look at what other people are doing and we get jealous. Or we look at what's going on in someone else's life and we just wish we can be a part of it. We literally have little devices on our, um, in our pockets. Oh, let me start my timer. 
We literally have devices in our pockets right now that are just comparison machines. That like we open them up, we go on Instagram, and we just look at other people's lives. And if we're honest, like if you watch like HGTV or something like that, you begin to fantasize about the life that you can have or you could have. You're like, if only I was able to um, be like Joanna Gaines and just build a perfect um, living room. Or if only I was like this. Or if only I had that. Maybe I'm alone in loving Magnolia. My wife loves Magnolia. Um, but one of my favorite movies that kind of touches on this idea is The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. And it's about this guy. His name is Walter. And he, throughout the entire movie, he just lives an ordinary life. Like, it starts off, and it's just a very simple guy with a white shirt and a tie. And he begins to just jump into his mind and go into these, like, fantasy uh, fantasies about him and his life. Whether it's like him being um, an expeditionist and he's got like a super uh, icy beard and he's super romantic and then it lapses back and he's a normal guy looking at the girl that he likes and he has no idea how to talk to her. Or like, you know, when his mom is telling him a story, he just checks out and he pretends he's um, like a race car driver, I think, in the book. Um, and I really resonate with this movie because there are moments in my life where I just check out. Like, I'm holding, it, uh, you guys don't, well, I'm wearing a shirt that says Dada. So I have a daughter. Her name is Olive. She's super sweet. But there are times where she is just screaming at the top of her lungs, and my ears just turn off, and I'm just like, okay, Olive, like, just take it easy. And I just, like, check out and just imagine that I'm back at work doing something that I understand a lot better than a one-year-old baby. And it, Because at times, our reality can, be, uh, can become so hard to deal with that we feel as though we need to craft another life or another version of ourselves to escape some of the things that we go through daily. And the scary thing and the thing that we have to be careful of is when we imagine being somewhere else, when we uh, look at other people and begin to compare ourselves to other people's lives, the dangerous thing that Satan tries to do in those moments is tell you the lie that God is holding out on you. That you begin to look at other people and say, God is blessing them, but he's not blessing me. Or he, or God is giving them A, B, and C, but he isn't giving me those things. And so, if so facto, God doesn't love me because he loves other people, but my life doesn't look the way their life does. And it's very dangerous because we can be tempted to stop looking at what God has given us and start looking at what God has given other people and, and, and I think about even last week, I was listening to Alan's message, the idea of wrestling for a blessing, holding on to God until he blesses us. But how often do we let go of wrestling with God and the blessings that he has for us, and we begin to just rest in the expectations we've placed on God? Or we begin to rest in um, our idea of what we want out of our life, and that's what we give over to God. We're like, God, this is what I want you to do, so I'll wait. God, this is the life I want to have, so I'll wait. Or you save all these things, or you begin to craft this. And, and the, the other dangerous thing is if you never share that with God. You just rest in, this is the life I want to have, and God hasn't given it to me, and so he doesn't love me. So going into this message tonight, I asked myself these three questions. What do we do when life gets dull or ordinary? What's the temptation when things aren't interesting to us? Or maybe things aren't necessarily going our way or other people's lives seem more interesting to us. And lastly, why is it so easy to lose sight of God when our lives aren't Instagram worthy? When our lives aren't something that we are so proud of sharing? Social media has done a wicked 
uh, thing for millennials and for just people in general. And I, I even saw this with, um, with older people as well. Social media has done this thing where we feel as though we have to present the perfect life always. And if it isn't the highlights, if it isn't the things that are beautiful to other people, we can't share those things. And so moments where we break into small groups or have a discussion question, those are few and far between in the world because you can only present your best self. So if you are ready to have a perfect conversation, you won't have a conversation at all. And so people create this perfect digital world, but a one-on-one conversation becomes difficult to have. And so what does that have to do with 1 Kings chapter 19? Well, I want to look at verse 1 for a little bit of context because the first thing we have to do Before we recognize that Jesus is working in our everyday life, we have to understand that there's tons of noise that is fighting for our attention. Look at verse Kings 19, verse 1. So it says this, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he executed all the prophets with the sword. Verse 2, Then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make you, or if I do not make your life as the life of one of them, being the the gods, by tomorrow about this time, verse three. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life, went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servants there. Now we jump into the middle of a story. So, like, if you guys are new to the Bible, or if you're new to uh, First Kings, you're like, what in the world is going on? In verse 1, it starts off, and so then the story continues, and these things happen, and this goes on, and Elijah's there. And so, for a little bit of backstory, I want to introduce you guys to who Elijah the prophet is. If you guys go back a couple chapters, you can read this on your own time. But in First Kings 17, verse 1, we're introduced to this man named Elijah, and something we have, or Elijah, and something we have to understand about him is he went into the face of a king in his time. So, like, kings had the ability to just kill people on the spot. He went into the face of one of these kings and said, my God is bigger than who you are. And more importantly, it's not going to rain in the land until God says it's going to. Until I say that it's going to rain, God is not going to allow it to rain. And at that point, the king could have said, I'm going to drop this guy right on the spot, head on a pike. But we see in Elijah, this man of God, that he was bold. He was bold in, or he was faithful to believe that God had the power to work through him. And so he stood in the face of this king and said, it's not going to rain until God says it's going to. And in 1 Kings 18, just a chapter before we read, we see Elijah challenges not only the king, but challenges the things that the king believed in. Because he says, bring all of your prophets, bring all of the people that you think are receiving special words from the, from your gods, these prophets of the idols, meaning like the things that they were chasing after. He says, bring all of your men and watch what God is going to do. And he shames the idols of this world in, uh, to this king. And, and we see that um, there was this God that people believed in, Baal, and there was many people chasing after it. And Elijah says, I think your God is dumb, and I believe my God is faithful. And Baal, the God that they were following after, you can see this in 1 Kings 18, 20, uh, 21. Um, uh, Elijah says that God is greater than the things that you chase after. And Baal was quiet, was silent. The God, the thing that they were chasing after, didn't produce the life that they were looking for. And God spoke powerfully through Elijah. 
and shamed Jezebel, shamed this, shamed the king, shamed Baal. And that, and so we, we find ourselves in the story in verse one. Elijah now is on the run because God did something powerful through him. And Jezebel didn't like it. In verse two, it says, Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah and said, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like one of them. Meaning what Elijah did, he shamed the prophet, he shamed the gods of this world, the things that we find ourselves chasing after. And he may, and, and God, um, God brought shame in his faithfulness. God was faithful, but the things of this world brought or brought about nothing. And so we see in verse four, he says, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came and sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die and said, it is enough, Lord. Now take my life for I am no better than my father's. And so Elijah's on the run now because Jezebel wants to kill him. We see that God did something powerful and through Elijah, but because the world was, um, was not happy with it and because Jezebel wanted to kill him, Elijah's on the run. Which is very interesting because if you think, if there are moments where God does something powerful in your life, how easy is it to forget those things? How easy would, have, would it have been for Elijah to say what God did before he's going to do again? And yet we see this man of God, as we broke it down, the man who stood in the face of kings, the man who said, I'm going to make shame of the things that you're chasing after, the man who said, um, if God, or yeah, who said God is good and he is going to uh, shame the things that you're chasing after, this man now is on the run because he was, he was afraid that he uh, was going to lose his life. And so we find ourselves with Elijah here in a bit of a difficulty. Elijah is in a spiritual funk. When you look at verse 4, we see that he's on the run. And I love, we need to read God's word um, particularly because look at what it says in verse 4. He himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. It was Elijah who, who he, at no point does it say he prayed before God and God said go. It was Elijah who made this decision to go on the run into the wilderness, and God's going to meet him in this. God had done great and powerful things through Elijah, but he lost sight of how God truly wants to speak. And so we find Elijah in a little bit of a, or in a moment of discouragement, in a moment of uncertainty, in a moment of not really sure if God's really there. Time and time again, you see throughout God's word, whenever the wilderness is mentioned, God wants to do something powerfully there. I think after, I think about after Jesus was baptized, what was the first thing he did right after he was baptized? He went into the wilderness for 40 days and was tempted by Satan. But we see powerfully that Jesus stood on God's word, that God was faithful in the midst of temptation. And so for us, when we look at Elijah in the midst of the wilderness, we have to ask ourselves this question. What does it look like when we are in situations like this? What does it look like when we, like Elijah, feel as though we are in, are, are wandering through the wilderness? Because the, the message tonight is about ordinary life, right? And it's very easy for us to chase the spiritual highs, like, like chase after serving for VBS or going to Bridge Fest or just like, um, going to baptisms or going to all these big church events. Or thinking like, where is God when we are going through difficulties or our finals are coming up or we're praying really hard. But in that time between, when nothing's really going on, when we feel as though we're just sort of wandering, 
We're not really sure the last time we heard from God, and we're not really sure the next time we're going to hear from God. Uh, uh, For us, when we look at Elijah here, I think that's where he's at. He's in this moment where he's not sure what God is going to do. And if anything, he's probably questioning if he was effective in what God had done in the past. Because this great man of God, Elijah, was in the wilderness and he was fear, or he was afraid of losing his life. And so for us, when we are going through our job, right? Like when we're going through our nine to five and we feel like God isn't working, we feel like, um, you know, I know I'm supposed to share the gospel, but I don't really know how I'm supposed to share Jesus when my boss is dumb and the coworkers I work with don't really care about me and everyone's mean. And maybe I'm thinking of like middle schoolers, but as we get older, we still think people are mean, um, you know, or maybe for some of us, it's as serious as we've slipped into moments of depression where we feel as though we are in a spot where we can't get out of it. Maybe a relationship has gone south. Maybe there's something that hasn't gone our way. Maybe we start to think about the life that we um, that we've wanted versus what God has given us. And we're just like, I don't think this is what God would have for me. And the scary thing that we can find ourselves in is thinking that we are alone in the midst of the wilderness. And for Elijah here, at this point, he was afraid. Verse 3 says, he was afraid and he ran for his life. And he came to Beersheba in Judah and he left his servant there. While he himself, in verse 4, went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to this bush, sat down under and prayed that he might die. And so Elijah is just in a, in, a, in a season of wilderness wandering, and he made it to this low point where he feels as though his life isn't worth living. And sometimes, for us, we can get this low. We can be afraid of losing our lives or get so wrapped up in our expectations for our life where we would just rather not go on living, or, or even on a more positive note, we're just like, look, the world is just not in a good place. I would rather just be in heaven. I would rather just Jesus to come back tomorrow because I don't want to deal with what's going on in the world today. But then we wake up and we're like, another day. You know, we wake up and and God calls us to live out another day. And if we live with that expectation of, I just want Jesus to come back, sometimes we can lose sight of what he's calling us to today. We can get so wrapped up in what we would rather have that we lose sight of what he has for us. And look at his prayer here. He says, I have had enough. So take my life because I'm no better than my ancestors. And he lay down under a bush and fell asleep. Now, on a more positive note, the fact that this man of God felt as though he was alone, knew he wasn't alone because he pr- he cried out to God. And there's nothing wrong with us being in moments of honesty where we say, God, I think I've had enough. God, I'd rather you come back but I believe that you are still who you say you are. And we need to enter into times like this with the Lord where we are honest and we bring our complaints before God. But more often than not, we bring our complaints before man and expect for them to solve, expect for them to solve it for us. Or we just want to get something off our chest. Like today was a bad day and my boss stinks and life is hard and, and you're just like, ah, that felt good. You know, like like it just felt good to get it off my chest. And then you go back into the same struggle the next day. But with Elijah, we see here that we need to bring our complaints before God. And we see that God isn't, God doesn't reprimand him. God doesn't get mad at the fact that he was honest. We read on and in verse six, it says, or no, in verse five, rather, he laid down under the bush, fell asleep. And it says all at once an angel touched him 
and said, Get up and eat. And he looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and he lied down again. Notice this. Elijah was upset that God wasn't meeting his expectations. He had a vision of what God was going to do, and Jezebel came in and threw him off what God had for him. And so Elijah, in this moment of depression, in this moment of spiritual uncertainty, the way God answered his prayer, the way God comforted him, was with a meal. It wasn't anything magical. God wasn't like, all right, watch what I'm going to do over there, and like strike down a lightning bolt, and Elijah's like, I feel better now, thanks God. I was afraid those guys were going to kill me. God says, here's a meal. Take it. Eat. That's what I've given to you in this moment. God, And, and, and it's a very important... Um, thing that we learn about the Lord here, God doesn't only care about our spiritual health, he also cares about our physical health as well. He's given us his body for a reason. Now, I'm not saying that, um, you know, that you have to be physically fit and you have to work yourself to the bone and be in the best shape of your life because I have a dad bod. So clearly I'm not following after that encouragement. But what this shows us here in verse five is that God cares about our physical well-being as much as he cares about our spiritual And sometimes, if we're honest, we just need a friend to go out to Chick-fil-A, buy us a meal, and have a good conversation. Because the Spirit moves in the midst of meals just as much as he moves in the midst of us opening our Bibles and saying, God said this, God said this, God is good. And and sometimes our friends try to encourage us with spiritual things when all we need is a simple meal and a listening ear. And this is what God provides here, a simple meal and a listening ear. And he does it through the, through the power of an angel. Touched him and said, get up and eat. Here's a meal. I'm going to encourage you. But God doesn't stop there. Because if we're honest, sometimes we just, right, we, we think that God just ends at the physical. But we read on in verse 7, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat. Nice. God gave him another meal. Give me more Chick-fil-A, Lord. For the journey is too much for you. And so the encouragement here very powerful, is that God gave Elijah exactly what he needed to get him to where he wanted him to go. And it was in a way that was so simple. A meal that lasted him read on. Look at this. He said, so he got up, he ate and drank, strengthened by the food. He traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Hebron, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. So two meals, God powered him for 40 days. That's powerful. That's pretty cool. I don't think I could last 40 days. I can't last 40 minutes. If I don't have a meal, I get pretty cranky. Ask some of my good friends. Actually, my good friends I don't get cranky with. You could ask my wife. Um, But God cared about his physical health, and you see something supernatural happen in a very natural way. You see something very supernatural happen in a very natural way. And so we read on because I lost track of my notes. So we see, so we brought some context into 1 Kings chapter 19. And the thing we have to be careful of is when we think nothing is going on, um, that there, sorry, that was my gum. When we think that nothing is going on, we think that God isn't speaking, but we have to be careful because boredom can be just as noisy as busyness. Boredom can be just as noisy as busyness. We just got out of COVID, right? We're we're just kind of coming back to some normalcy. And I feel like my soul hasn't slowed down since COVID slowed down. You guys, like, tracking with me? When COVID ramped up, 
working at a church meant that I, that we had to always crank out information, always be up to speed with what was going on in the news, always making sure that, that people knew God was in control and that he wanted for us to meet up. And when things slowed down, my soul didn't. I continually felt like I needed to keep cranking out and running at the speed of COVID and the news stopped talking about COVID, like COVID stopped talking about COVID, but my soul was still running at like 150 miles an hour. And so when boredom slipped in, I recognized that Satan was still trying to, to distract me from what God was trying to say. When, when the world slowed down and God was still speaking, my heart and my soul were still so uh, wrapped up with busyness that even, even the mundane life seemed difficult to deal with. And I found myself slipping back into these, these simple distractions that Satan was just like, see? And, and when I reached the, when like, when I was distracted or I found myself like re-downloading Candy Crush or, or getting distracted with simple things again, Satan tried to tell me that once again, I was alone. I love the way one author put it. He said, everydayness is my problem. It's easy to think, what would you do in a wartime or if a hurricane blew through or if, uh, if you spent a month in Paris or if the, or if this guy wins the election or if you won the lottery or if you brought that thing, if you bought that thing, you really want it. But it's a lot more difficult to figure out how you're going to get through today without despair. And when Elijah was at this point, look at verse nine. God met Elijah at this moment when he was in the cave. And he says, and there he went into a cave, spent the night in the place, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? The first thing that God speaks to him was a meal. But when God spoke audibly to Elijah, he says, what brought you to this place? Like, was, was it I who was telling you to, to be in this cave, to be alone? Or was it you who brought yourself to this place? See, Elijah had lost sight of how God was working or the new thing that God wanted to do because he was so focused on the big things that God was doing. He was so focused on the spectacular. And when he was faced with the temptation of the world to to run in the opposite direction, Elijah was just like, this seems too scary for me. I don't want to lose my life and ran. And he ended up in this cave and God asks him this again later on. But in verse nine, the first thing that God says to him is, what are you doing here? And so the challenge or the invitation for us, the second point here, is to listen to the simple things that God has for us. Look at verse 11. So Elijah says, or, or God says in verse 11, he says, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and, there, and a great strong wind tore into the mountain, broke into, broke the rock into pieces and the Lord, or broke into the, uh, the rock into pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And verse 12, and after the earthquake was a fire, but the Lord was not in a fire. And after the fire was a still small voice. And so it was when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle, went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said again, look at this word. What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, God gave him a powerful illustration in the simplest of ways. God said, all of this noise, all of this busyness, all of these things that you think are important to you 
are not necessarily important to me. All of these things, you try to hype yourself up. You try to cultivate um, this perfect life. But maybe I just want to give you a meal. Maybe I just have given you a community of people to, to, to actually share your life with. And we know that the spirit is working when it feels uncomfortable, when it feels unnatural. But we see with Elijah, if we find ourselves in moments where God is saying, what brought you to this place? Where God is saying, what are you doing here? It's an opportunity for us to recognize that maybe we've got caught up in the wind. Maybe we got caught up in the fire or the earthquake. Maybe we were chasing after those things. And we thought those were the things that God wanted to do. And yet, we ignored those text messages from that new person we connected with. Or maybe you, you went to church and you saw somebody that definitely looked uncomfortable. And God said, remember your first time walking in the church? And you ignored it. You're just like, no, nope, no, nope, that's not for me. <laughs> I need to go and, and chase something else. And the Holy Spirit was trying to do a work, but you ignored it because it didn't feel right to you. Or you ignored it because, as Elijah says in verse 14, look at these words. He says, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your idols, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Notice who's not mentioned in that. Or notice Elijah comes and his final words, I think, are the most important ones. It's like when somebody says, like, hey, you did a really good job today. And you're like, yeah, thanks. But here are some things you have to change. And you're like, oh, come on. Elijah says, I've done these things because God is great. I am so fired up for the Lord. But you know what? I feel alone. And more importantly, I think I'm the only one who understands this. And they seek to take away what you're doing through me. That's his prayer to the Lord. That's what he says. He says, I've been fired up for God. And I know people, other people have lost their way. And they've done all of these wrong things. But I alone, Lord, now I'm alone here in this cave and I'd rather die. Elijah thought that he had been, he had been ineffective with what God was doing through his life. If you, jumped, if you jump over to eight, verse 18, look at what God says here. I'm, I'm skipping to the end of my message, but I'll jump back. In verse 18, it says, Yet I've reserved 7,000 in Israel, all of those who have not bowed down to Baal, whose mouths have not kissed him. See, God was working in the background, but Elijah didn't see it because he was on the run. Elijah was running from himself and lost sight of what God was doing. Despite thinking that God wanted to do these big and powerful things, what God was trying to show him is that he was working in the unseen areas. When God tells Elijah to go back to the people, to go back to what he had called him to, God's encouragement to him was, I was working despite you feeling me at work. I was doing something even though you didn't think I was doing something. And the powerful lesson we see in these couple of verses, 11 through 14, is that God speaks in, in natural ways. He does supernatural things in natural ways. I love the way um, this Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon put it. He says, because the success of Carmel, the, the mountain where God did something powerful, melted away like a morning mist. He thought, being Elijah, that his career had been a failure all along and that he brought no one to reverent Jehovah, meaning that he brought no one to be a follower of God, but he was, he was reading through the eyes of unbelief 
and his imagination was leading him rather than the facts in the case. Here were 7,000 people scattered up and down throughout the country to whom God had blessed with Elijah's testimony. Elijah's testimony. But he had not blessed his big things as he had desired, yet his little things had prospered greatly. It was Elijah's daily conduct rather than his powerful miracles, which he which impressed 7,000 people and led them to hold fast to his integrity. And so we jump back into the story in verse 15. And the Lord says, go and return the way of the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hezron king over Syria. Jehu, the son of Nimshah, you shall anoint the king over Israel. And Elijah, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Milhola, you shall anoint to be the prophet in the place. And the one who escapes the sword of Hazar shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elijah put to death. And we read verse 18 again, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel. So God first encouraged, oh yeah, Mike's still on. God first encouraged him physically. Then it began to restore him spiritually by sending him back on his journey. But the lesson he taught him, we find in verse 18, that he was working behind the scenes. That if we listen to the simple things, if we go through our lives, and how does this uh, apply to us? Recognize that in the day-to-day, God is still speaking. Recognize in the day-to-day, God is giving us opportunities for us to be obedient. And obedience doesn't always feel right. Obedience doesn't always... um, bring about fruit and it's like like obedience doesn't always feel as though you're doing anything important for some of you guys who have siblings if you guys are older siblings you recognize that when you are sharing jesus with them they may not always receive it but one day and we we even saw right or if you guys have gone to this church for a while maybe you're sitting next to somebody who hasn't been to church in a while but god was still speaking to them even though you didn't see it Maybe you have a family member who you've been trying to get to this building so that they can meet with God. But God is still working, even though they aren't here. So often we think that God only works in the ways he's worked in our lives. But more often, like the Holy Spirit is so unique and beautiful in it that everyone who is brought to this place was brought here in a different way. Whether it was a random text message, whether it was a social media post, whether it was... I don't know, you have, like, uh, wherever he is, whether you had a random family member's wedding that you had to get to and you came back to your home church. Everyone is here in one way or another, but the Holy Spirit has brought us here to say something powerful. So my declaration to you guys, and um, this closing point here, is to reclaim the mundane. That sounded really cool when I typed it out. Reclaim the mundane. And the question I have for you guys is, what could God do through you by simply resting in what he's done. So often we think we have to build a perfect life. Build uh, you know, a perfect ministry. If you guys are in, you know, you serve. Build a perfect stage design like this for God to show up. And we think like this stage design it has nothing to do with us. But we try to build a perfect Instagram profile. Or we try to build a perfect resume to get the job that we want. But here's the thing. Here's a fact for you guys. And, and I believe it's biblical. A mundane life, or when there are times in life where you feel as though nothing happens, it doesn't change the fact that Jesus came because he loves you. 
No matter how you feel, no matter how mundane your life seems to be, it doesn't change the fact that Jesus came to this earth to remind you that he loves you. Like, that's just like, I don't know. Like, you could, I don't know, you could put that on a billboard and that could just hit forever. And he came so that you would know that God is there with you. Think about this for a sec. Jesus came as a human. And so often we can think that being, like, um, what was it? When I, I remember, like, well, you guys remember this too because we're the same age. The whole mantra of, like, adulting is hard. Or just being a human is just the most difficult thing in all of existence. But Jesus chose to come as a human. And he took simple things like having meals with friends, like breathing, walking, living, fishing, right? Some of his disciples were fishermen. And he went into those simple things and took them to a whole new level. He said, you guys like fishing? And they were like, yeah, we like fishing. Let's fish for men. And they were like, I'm confused by that. And Jesus was like, follow me. <laughs> like, okay, sure. You know, like that seems to make sense. And so for us, recognize that a mundane life doesn't change the fact that Jesus came. And we, uh, we can think that we've come to a church. And of course, the guy with the Bible on the pulpit has to say, these fluffy words or, or these powerful things of the fact that Jesus wants to do something in the ordinary. But take a look at the people around you. Take a look at the fact that you came out here tonight. And the fact that we are sitting in the same room unified by something other than ourselves is exactly what the Lord or the Lord, exactly what the world needs today. I said this to um I forget who I was talking to, but we live in the United States of America. And at times, I feel like this is the most disunified or disunited states of America. That should be our real name. I'll put it on a flag and make a cool banner. But think about what the Bible invites us into, being unified by Jesus' blood, being unified by the fact that he came for broken humans. He took things like meals, breathing, walking, living, fishing. That's what my notes say. And he made those extraordinary. He said, let's have a meal and let's talk about our hearts. And his disciples were confused by it. His disciples were like tons of times. And I love the disciples because they, they always ask Jesus, what are you talking about? And Jesus was like, oh, okay, let me explain a little further. In the parables, right? I just got done teaching the parables for the middle schoolers. And I love the fact that Jesus told super simple stories. And everybody, some thought it was just a story. But the disciples came and said, what is that story about? And Jesus was like, it's about my father's kingdom. It's about his plans for you. It's about why I came to this earth. And they were like, oh, snap, that sounds cool. And, and so, oh, I'll, I'll tell you guys an illustration about me being a dad because it's in my notes. The other day, my daughter Olive was scooting around. She doesn't really understand how to walk. She kind of stands and then she's like, oh, look, I'm standing and then sits down. Um, but she learns how to crawl. And the other day, she was destroying our little coffee area, and she went for a glass cup, which is very scary for a one-year-old, because if it breaks, she can get hurt. So I said to her, like, I called out to her, and I was like, Olive, stop that. And she just looked, and she was like, <laughs> like, she gets excited and just starts breathing heavier when she knows she's doing something wrong. And so she scooted away, and then she grabbed something else. I forget what it was. I think she had a diaper rash, so she grabbed, like, butt paste. And she was just like, look at this now. And she like waved them around. And I was like, Olive, no, stop. Do not eat that. That's not good for you. Um, and she just scooted into her room and ran away from me. And she was so proud. She was so proud that she ran away from me. But then when she got into the room, she was so afraid because she was alone. 
And she was like, oh, she's like, where are you? Or she didn't talk. She's one years old. But that's what I picture in her screams and random sounds that she was making out of her mouth. But she was very afraid. Now, let me ask you guys something. Was she alone? I would say no. I was still going to run after her because she had glass and butt paste in her hand. So there was no way that I was going to leave her alone because she was alone and she could do something destructive with that. The other question I have for you guys is, was I not speaking to her when she got caught up in other things other than my voice? I was calling out to her. I was saying, Olive, what are you doing? And she was like, ah, glass and butt paste. Like, this is the life, you know. She was getting caught up in things that led her to feel as though she was alone. But it didn't change the fact that I was still speaking. That I was telling her, put down the glass and butt paste. That's dumb. I should stop saying butt paste, Right. <laughs> But it didn't change the fact that I was still speaking to her. And thirdly, where did the things that she was following after leave her? She felt alone with dumb things that she had no idea what they do. She didn't know what a glass was for. I won't say what the second thing is. And she felt alone, (laughs) right? And so for us, the truth, uh, or well, bring it back to the illustration, but the truth of me speaking to her didn't change despite where she ended up. No matter where she ended up, it didn't change the fact that I was still trying to have relationship with her. I was still going to run after her, and, and whenever she decided to stop running from me, we could talk through what a, how a cup works and how these things work. But it didn't change the fact that I was still speaking to her. And so the dangerous thing for us is to get wrapped up in simple things as the only thing and lose sight of the greater things that God has for us. Let me say that again. The dangerous thing for us is to get wrapped up in mundane things and think that those are the only things, and we lose sight of the greater things that God has for us, the way that he wants to speak into those mundane things. If we just look at what we can see, we lose sight of the unseen world that God is trying to speak to us through, through his word, through his spirit, through the uncomfortable conversations we can have after the message, he wants to speak through those things. But if we just get wrapped up in our feelings, chasing after uh, the things that we think are important, we can lose sight of the ways God wants to speak. And so the way we can see God speaking is a few things. First off, you guys are in a building. You guys are in his church Jesus died for this building. Well, not this building. He wasn't like 123 White Oak Lane. There's going to be a church one day. But Jesus died so that the foundation of his church can be laid, so that we can be unified here together. His people are another way that we can see. Followers of Jesus are a way we can see God working today. His spirit, which for us, if you guys are new to Jesus or you don't know how the Holy Spirit works, you know it when you feel uncomfortable, when, you, when somebody is trying to invite you into um, a healthy conversation that you know is a good conversation, that you need to talk about that thing, and there's something in you that's, that's trying to push down the, that conversation or keep it away from you, but the Holy Spirit's trying to bring it to the light and say, talk about these things. These things will help you grow. And the Spirit says, let it flow. Like the Spirit says, talk about them. And you feel that spiritual battle, right? You feel like, I can't talk about that. That's not something I want to share. If I share that, they're not going to accept me. If I share that, I'll never be invited back. But what happens if we brought all the things to the light? Obviously, healthily, don't like 
as I, after I pray and say amen, you're just like, let me tell you about everything. <laughs> and somebody's like, I don't know who you are and you're overwhelming me. Right? Be wise about those things. That's why there's gradient leaders. So you can, you know. But we have to recognize that God is speaking daily. And he wants to speak to you. And so my encouragement is threefold. And this is how I'm going to close. Because I pastors have to write things in their notes to stop talking. Or they'll talk forever. Oh. Or set alarms. So. This is how we can hear from God and see his voice at work in our lives today. Three points that I want to encourage you with. To remember, to repent, and to return. One of those is a very Christian-y word, and we'll get to that. So first, remember. Remember that God is with you in your everyday life. Romans chapter 8, verse 38 says this, And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor fears for today, or worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed. Nothing in all of creation will ever separate us from the love of God that was revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Here's something that's crazy. And you can try this. You can like go to New York and yell Jesus' name from the rooftops. And everyone will look to you and be like, I don't know about that guy. Maybe he's a little strange. I believe that the cross to this day still has power and is at work not only in this building, but isn't supposed to stay here. It's supposed to go out into the world and challenge people. I, I, I think it's in Luke chapter 2 where it talks about um, what Jesus is going to do. And, and it it basically says like he's going to cut to the soul and challenge people. Kate will probably tell me where that is later, right? But, but, but Jesus has the ability. In Jesus' name, we can actually speak to the hearts of other people. And as we found out tonight, sometimes it's as simple as going out for a meal. Sometimes it's as simple as asking how you're doing. Or as, if you guys know George Evans, asking again how you're doing. Because most people will tell you like, hey, how's it going? Oh, I'm doing great. How are you? How are you really doing? Uh, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> then that's like when you really cut through it. You see the Holy Spirit moving by just asking how you're doing twice. So we need to remember that God is with us. And, and as I was sharing this message with somebody, we're, um, we as a church are getting a thrift store one day. Or, well, it's coming soon in September. And I was going with our guy who's building our sign. And I was telling him about this message. I was like, I want to share about how Jesus works in the ordinary life. And he said, Zach, let me tell you something. And I wrote it down. It's like a paraphrase. But he said, when you go through what I've gone through, and he started listing out these things, divorce, depression, bankruptcy, all of these things that I've been through. He said this, I've learned every day is a miracle. Every day. And if you recognize for a second, and this is something like if, like, I'm sure your parents have told you this growing up. Think about the breath in your lungs. Think about uh, the roof over your head, right? And you hear and you're just like, oh, this is just another, like, ploy to get me to eat my vegetables or something like that. But when you think about those simple blessings that you actually have in your life and, and, and how those point back to Jesus, the question that we're left with is, is Jesus enough? Have we lost sight of, of who Jesus is, what he has done for us, so that we can remember that we don't have to work hard to see God at work in our everyday life. Secondly, we need to repent, which again is a loaded word, right? Most of you guys hear repent and you're like, oh gosh, like you just picture like 
like uh, Billy Graham slamming on the pulpit, like, repent! And you're like, oh, that's a very scary word. But the word itself just means to simply, you are going in one direction and to turn back to the way that God has for you. To turn back to a life lived with intention in response to what God has done. Not trying to work towards God's love, but recognize his love came down to us in Jesus. And to, and to now live a life with purpose and intention. It was somewhere in my notes, but one of my favorite movies is About Time. Have you guys seen that movie? Do you guys know About Time? It's this love movie. If you guys went to my wedding, we played one of the songs there. Uh, but it's this guy who basically has the superpower to go back at any point in his life and relive the day. And the movie ends with him surrendering that power over to just live every day purposefully. To live every day knowing that it could be his last. And it ends with like some beautiful quotes or whatever. But what would it look like for us to just recognize that God's given us today? And what are we going to do with it? God isn't, God isn't holding out on us. Not saying that there are things holding us back from what God wants to do in our lives. And that may be true. Like there are things that are probably that we need to be open and honest about and bring to the light because Satan's using them to keep us away. I'm not saying try harder or do better. This isn't me saying, like, if you just read a lot more and pray a lot harder, God is going to bless you. No. Again, Jesus has done the work. And so repentance may just look like recognize that the work's been done. That we don't need to work hard to see God at work because the cross says it all. I I think it was um, Josh, he said a couple weeks ago that uh, the cross of Jesus Christ is the greatest reminder for us for for all time that God loves you. And so maybe we just need to look back at the cross. And so what I am saying is not to excuse the presence of God in your life for the preferences of how you think your life should be going. Let me say that again. Don't excuse God's presence at work in your life for the preferences of how you think your life should be going. And so we need to put our our trust back in the things of God. Again, I want to read Romans chapter 8. I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. And I got to tell you guys, if you have a Bible in your lap, this entire book is about God's love for you. About broken people being restored back into right relationship with God through his son, Jesus. So again, don't excuse God's presence at work for preference. So, and thirdly, return. Return back to the reality of Jesus at work in the mundane. I want to close at the end of the Bible. In Revelation chapter 2, there's this church in Ephesus. And listen to this. In Revelation chapter 2, a letter written to the church or to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things that you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know that you don't tolerate evil people, and you have examined the claims of those who say that they are apostles, but they are not. You have discovered that they are liars, and you've patiently suffered for me without quitting. Maybe this is you guys. I want to pause here for a sec. Maybe this is you guys who think you've been doing all the right things. You're like, I am checking all the Christian boxes. I was away for a little bit. Now I'm back. Check. Prodigal. I read my Bible every day. Check. Jesus loves me. I know all the promises of God. I have it on a bookmark. Check. But listen to this. Verse 4 of Revelation 2. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did first. 
or as the, 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 the original language just simply says, you've lost your first love. In verse 5, look at how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works that you did at first. Look at, that, look at the, the order of those things. Look back to me and do the things that you've done faithfully. Have we lost sight? Do we need to return our eyes back onto the things of God? To recognize that the things he's called us to are sometimes not super, are sometimes not the most important feeling. As Jesus puts it in the New Testament, even if you give a cold cup of water in my name, I can be glorified through it. And so what are the simple things that Jesus is calling us to that we've maybe lost sight of how he could use? Again, what brought you guys here tonight? Was it as simple as a conversation? I don't, for me, when I first started coming here five years ago... Um, I, it was either Alan saying, I look super hip, let's grab coffee, or it was the fact that I was wearing Clarks and Josh Sponring was wearing Clarks. And he was like, look, you're wearing Clarks. And I was like, look, you're wearing Clarks. And we were like the Spider-Man meme of Clarks, you know? But that made me feel connected. I felt like I can actually call this place a home because one person my age was able to have a conversation with me. And it was dumb. It wasn't even about Jesus. He wasn't like, you're wearing Clarks in Jesus' name. He was just like, like, and sometimes we can think we have to do something super spiritual for God to use us. But that wasn't the case. And so we need to return to our first love and recognize that God, that you are given all you need for God to get, be glorified in your life through God's word, through Jesus. This is beautiful. It's like such a simple, it's ironic, like being here at VBS and hearing all these Sunday school songs, you recognize that sometimes you lose sight of the, or of the simple Sunday school songs you sing. Yeah, that was very hard to say, and I have a lisp. <laughs> simple Sunday school songs sing. But those simple truths are what the world and the busyness of the world and sometimes the mundane things of the world try to have us forget. And so my encouragement to you is to return to a place of God's presence over your preferences. Maybe that means deleting Instagram. Maybe that means searching in your heart and asking, Lord, what is the life that I've crafted that we haven't talked about? What are the things that I'm not comfortable giving over or sharing with someone else? Are those things weighing me down? And the invitation is to begin to see God's presence at work in your everyday life, Because there are everyday miracles and there are everyday opportunities to share hope with Jesus through the lives we live. And notice, again, in Revelation, that it isn't to go back to the way things used to be. God isn't saying here to work hard and do better. Like So often we can read, turn back to me and do the works you first did. And you forget to turn back to me and you're like, do the things I first did. And you start thinking about your testimony. You're like, I started with Clarks. Maybe I need to buy some more Clarks. I started uh, like deleting Instagram. Okay, I'll delete Instagram and then God will speak to me. And you do all these things and you're like, God, are you there? But we forget that it says, turn back to me. Because again, I, can, I mean, I can give you guys a list of things that I have done. But again, the same Holy Spirit that uniquely brought us all here today wants to uniquely challenge you in, in what it looks like to turn back to God tonight. So, yeah, again, Revelation 2.4. 
you don't love me or love one another. And the challenge there is how are we treating other people? How are we treating the people who are closest to us? Because that's probably the greatest reflection of how we have or how our relationship with God is doing. I think about some of like uh, my family or my siblings and I'm running away. From, well, I'm not running away from them. But when I get in the car with them, it's really uncomfortable because I feel like I don't have a relationship with them at times. And then they get out of the car and God's just like, so is that how it is between us? Have you maybe lost sight of the fact that I'm trying to have a relationship with you and that discomfort is an opportunity to just talk with me? And then I want to call my, and then I set a reminder in my phone to call my family occasionally. Um, And so I'll close out. I have another closing, famous pastoral three closing. C.S. Lewis put it this way. God whispers to us all or all the time. Sometimes he has to speak a little louder through difficulties. Sometimes he has to speak even louder through pain or suffering. But my challenge to you guys is God is speaking in the mundane. We don't have to go through trials. We don't have to have um, like a powerful testimony to just recognize that the power is in the cross, not in like big events that we can talk about all the time. So in closing, I will read my closing sentence. Cling to God for a blessing. But recognize that the greatest blessing he's ever given us is his son, Jesus, to show us how to walk through the ordinary in the spirit of God, to give us a new perspective. And more importantly, he's given us his word to remind us eternally that he is speaking, he has spoken, and through his son, he will return once more to show or or to be with us. So let's pray.